Welcome to Choosing Leadership and this is another episode of the Visionary Voices series with your host Sumit Gupta. In this dynamic new series of episodes I am bringing you thought provoking conversations with visionary leaders who have reshaped industries, challenged norms and carved their own paths to success. In a world where leadership is a blend of art and science, where the ability to navigate uncertainty is as important as fostering innovation, we are diving headfirst into the minds of those who have mastered this craft. Join us as we discover the nuances of decision making and unveil the uncharted territories of visionary leadership. Get ready to choose leadership not just as a role but as a conscious journey of growth, transformation and influence. In the interview, Joey, author of Leading with Significance, discusses the transformative power of faith-driven leadership in achieving remarkable results. Joey emphasizes that honoring values, putting people first, and fostering a sense of belonging are keys to success. He highlights that courageous decisions are essential to building a resilient workforce. By creating transparency through candid conversations, deliberate group structures, and trust in the inherent good of people, Joey's insights inspire people to prioritize significance over success and nurture a thriving organizational culture. Welcome to another episode of the Choosing Leadership podcast. And today we have Joey with us, who is the author of Leading with Significance. And we are going to talk about leadership and culture. Welcome, Joey, to the show. Thank you, Samia. I'm very excited to be here and appreciate this opportunity. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. And to begin with, can you share a bit about the origins of the book and what's the story, what's your story behind it? I've been a CPA and an accountant for 39 years, or really over 40 years, 39 years with Horn. And in 2011, the partners of that firm elected me the managing partner. And uh, at that time, we decided we would make culture, workplace culture, our number one strategy. And we did that. And I turned the company over in 2021. And as part of, I guess, this season in life, I decided to share some of the things that we learned, a lot of the mistakes we made along the way, the journey, but the stronger our culture got, the more our business grew, the better our profitability was. Yeah. And can you share a bit more about this journey? What kind of growth that, that happened in that time period? During that time, we were probably around 50 million and as far as CPA firms go, we were in the top 55 or 60 firms, somewhere in there. And over that 10 years, we've, this year, we finished in the top 25 and we're a little over $380 million. We've gone from 350 people to over 2,300. That's quite a journey, Joy. So congratulations for that. Well, uh, thank yeah. you. But that's a lot of people. A great leadership team contributed to all of that, as well as I'll be the first to tell you, God has blessed us over and over again. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. And I think this is one question. Maybe we can jump directly into that, right? Because in your book, you do mention God and faith. And can you share how does that play a role in a very results-driven business environment? Yeah. Yeah, I think at Horn, one of our values, our first value is to honor God and personal faith. We, we have people of every faith, but in that we believe people and serving people 
showing appreciation, respecting people is something is a way you can honor God. And so regardless of what your faith is, uh, we look to have a workplace where people have a strong sense of belonging. And that faith goes back to, I was raised in a Christian home and uh, my parents taught me all about the Bible. And so my faith has been part of my journey. I haven't always led me the way it it should lead me, but certainly as I got older and a little wiser, some of the things that mom and dad taught me came to be true. And what I found in a workplace culture is that whether, regardless of your faith, if you really think about the purpose in life being something bigger than yourself, that it's about serving others, it's about building something bigger than yourself then all that comes around to helping each other. And I think that's the secret sauce. That's where the magic is. I call it magnetic energy. That comes when people have that strong sense of belonging. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. Can you share maybe one or two examples of some decisions that where that played a big role? Because I do see a lot of conversations in the boardroom or with senior executives focused on short-term results. So how do you keep accountability of some measurable metric or outcome, but yet at the same time, bringing in that people together. That's a great question because the pressure is what's the profitability this year? What's the growth this year? And for so many companies and the pressure for any CEO or any C-suite, any leader in an organization is to get immediate results. And so it takes courage. It takes a lot of courage to say, you know what? We're going to be better before we're bigger. And we're going to have culture and people is going to be our number one strategy. And because of that, we will have long-term growth. We'll have long-term relevance. We'll have long-term profitability. And we were very fortunate. Once we really made that statement, we actually told the entire fund. I did a presentation with everybody there back in 2011 and 2012. And we told the firm, workplace culture, people is going to be our number one strategic focus. If it means we get smaller first, that's just what happens. We're going to be a place where people want to work and want to be part of what we're building. And we grew 20%. We hadn't grown double digits in the last 10 years. We grew double digits the next two years as people really bought in, leaned into that. And so we got a lot of good momentum just from that first compelling vision of what we call the wise firm. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, you mentioned about courage, right? Do you think there's a particular kind of leader who is more suited for this kind of change or is it something which can be cultivated in everybody? Leadership is behaviors and it takes an authentic heart. You've got to truly be yourself and care. Some people can show that a lot easier than others. When you talk about leading with significance, it is about realizing that your voice carries, that you have influence as a leader, that what you say and what you do and the decisions you make impact people's lives and the difference between choosing success, which is all about me, more power, more titles, more money, whatever, in leading with significance, 
It's about making sure you're making the right decision and serving the people that you're working with. And I will tell you that my experience and even coaching other companies and other CEOs, when you lead with significance, when you put people first, when you create that magnetic energy, success always follows and it follows in big bundles. Yeah. Can you share a bit more about the word significance? Why did you choose to use this word and what do you mean by that? It's interesting because significance, that was not really even on a page of a possible title of the book when I started writing it. But when I got to the end and I started really working on those closing two chapters, in the last chapter, I talk a lot about the coincidences that came along the way, and there's no real coincidence when God has a purpose for your life. But I also talk about the fact that we really have two choices in life. We can choose to chase success. We can choose to chase more titles, more money, more power, or we can chase a life of significance where we want to impact those that we work with. We want to impact those in our lives. We want to have a positive impact. And what I find, and I think really science shows, there's been plenty of scientific stories. There's plenty of faith-based evidence of all of this. When we serve others, when we do the greater good, when we leave people better than we found them, there's real joy that comes from that. And there's a longer, more satisfying peace about your life and what you're doing. And again, it's almost self-serving because again, when you lead with significance and people buy in, when people are given that magnetic energy, which is discretionary effort, when they know that they're contributing to something bigger than themselves, you're going to have growth. You're going to have profitability. You're going to have relevance and you're going to have a long-term life as a company. Yeah. And as you grew from, as you mentioned, 350 to more than 2000 people, how did you create that sense of culture and in the entire organization rather than it just being you who is leading in the whole company? And let me say that even from the start and the reason that we were able to make the progress that we made is that we had a leadership team that bought into the vision early on. Our board our partner group, they said, this is who we want to be. We want to be different. We want to be a firm that honors God and we want to be a firm that puts people first. And so we had a, it takes a leadership team. No single person can lead a culture and change it overnight. I like to say this, every voice counts. Uh, and so you need early adopters. You need people picking up the rope. And that's one of the things about the book is I go through our journey and share ups and downs and mistakes. You read books about workplace culture and it's, it seems to be all academic. In this book, we peel back that academia and really expose the human emotions, the, the, times that you're so disgusted, the times where you're scared because you're having to do some things on faith. Not everything ties directly to the bottom line. And so those human emotions and 
with change, you go down into the swamp and you wonder, why did we ever do this? And then you start coming up and you start getting momentum and you start to understand, yes, this is the right direction. Yeah. And maybe can you share an example or a story of like one such difficult decision? And what is the lesson that can any leader listening to this take away for themselves? There's lots of them, and I share lots of them in the book. I think one of the hardest decisions, especially for a smaller company, but even a larger, Fortune 500 company even, is dealing with a toxic leader. Dealing with a leader that it's all about them. They chew people up one side down the other, but usually... They're very good at business. In other words, they're probably great at bringing clients in. They're great at getting new projects for the company. Those toxic leaders will hold you back. They cost so much. And today, we're in an exponential world today. In other words, change is not slowing down. It's going to speed up. And so having a workforce, a team, that is resilient, that can learn, unlearn, and relearn is one of the biggest strategic advantages you can have. And being focused on that, that requires having very hard conversations with toxic leaders. Now, some toxic leaders, once they have been approached with radical candor about what the situation is, what they need to do, they can change their behaviors, but many times the organization is better when they're outside the organization. And so one of the toughest decisions, one of the hardest decisions I had to make in the very first two years of our journey was dealing with a toxic leader that was very influential. A big business developer had helped start one of the areas of the firm, but we had clients coming in, we had clients going out because our people were not serving clients because they were churning. Our turnover hit over 30% in that division one, one year. So having sitting down and having that conversation, drawing out a win-win for them and for the firm. And let me tell you something, overnight, overnight, it changed that division of our company. It changed that team. One other quick story, I just got through consulting with a middle market CEO. He had taken over. He'd been in the position about a year. He had a toxic leader, smaller firm, less than probably 10 million, maybe 10 to 12 million a year in revenues and company doing well. But this toxic leader was really toxic. Even the other owners had a problem. I talked to him and. We laid out a strategy. We talked about how you have the conversation, what a win-win might look like. I didn't hear from him for three or four months. And I thought, wow, that he either backed out or that didn't go very well. He, I had a conversation with him in the last month and he said, Joey, it changed. We did it. We followed exactly the plan we put together. They're happier. Our firm overnight changed. We had people, some of our best people came out of the woodwork and said, I had already put my resume out there. I was leaving because I thought you would never deal with this. 
Yeah. And can you share some of those behavioral or very tactical changes that you recommended? Some, some of the things that I recommended to them. Yeah. I recommended that they wanted to have a group meeting with this person. I recommended they have a one-on-one meeting, the new managing CEO to them that they talked about behaviors and not personal attacks that they talked about the facts of the track record and that they had an exit plan already put together for them to think about that it really dealt with a transition that was a soft landing that they made a sacrifice themselves to make sure this person landed on their feet in a good situation. But they also didn't really give any options other than because they had decided this, the only, we cannot resolve this coaching this person. They had already come to the decision that it had to be an exit. So we dealt with it from an exit strategy. And I said, don't ask for a decision when you sit down with them. Recognize, hey, we know this is a lot in one meeting. And so give them time to reflect on that. And so that's exactly what they did. They came in the next day and met and resolved everything, came to an agreement and it was a done deal that week. Yeah. And you mentioned about like having these tough conversations, holding people accountable and also shifting behavior. So how do you balance this level of accountability with putting people first or the love and care that you shared earlier? That's probably one of the biggest misunderstandings. And in fact, it held us back a lot. I had a lot of conversations with our managers and partners and owners because they, they would start letting up on expectations and I I say, look, this is not about not having high expectations. In fact, one of the things that we stressed over and over is if you become a member of the horn team. One of your personal values has got to be seeking your full potential. One of our values is going to be giving you the resources and helping you find your full potential, but you've got to have the desire. You've got to put the elbow grease in. And early on, I would say that was one of our biggest burdens and hurdles is as managers of people, leaders of people, you don't manage people actually right now. You manage projects and tasks. You don't manage people. You lead people. They decide whether they're going to follow you or not. But people were struggling with that. And it's not about not having expectations. Now, one of the things I find is that today we don't have the clarity we need around expectations. We really don't even start off from a good spot because we're not very clear on what expectations are. And we don't spend the time to ask and inquire and make sure and listen a big word that they understand what the expectations are. But actually over the years, our accountability has gone up. And in fact, mediocrity, a a team member that's not seeking their full potential, that mediocrity sticks out like a sore thumb on a team Mm. that's focused on high performance. Yeah. Thank you for sharing about clarity. Because I think many places in many companies, accountability becomes difficult because everybody has different expectations of what is expected without a clear clarity of the numbers or how to measure something. So thank you for adding that. 
Uh, absolutely. People need goals. People need accountability. One of the things is here's something else that we put in that had never been done before. And in any of the companies that we could find, except for we found this engineering company and we were looking, how can we move people along faster? How can we have better clarity of goals and stuff? And they had put in professional coaches. And so that's what we did. We called them full potential coaches and they're certified coaches. They're for the people and they sit down with you and coach you. And it's all confidential. They don't report to the C-suite or anybody else. It's all confidential. So it's all about helping you find your path, understand the feedback you're getting. How can you apply that feedback? How, what questions do you need to ask? How do you reach your full potential? Thank you for adding that. In the book, you also speak about having a committed leadership team. And I would like to ask about commitment. As, as a leadership team, you probably have like departments or a number of people under you as well. So what is the commitment of leader towards? Is it towards the higher purpose and vision of the company? Is it towards results, specific results, or is it towards their own departments? How do you define commitment? Commitment is, is so unique to the individual and to the role they signed up for. It starts with honoring the values. And let me say this, to have a people-first culture, to have a strong sense of belonging, one of the things that people look for is, I call it seeing is believing. They have to see the leaders living the values. In other words, it's one thing to walk in the room, say, hey, we value people first, we respect people and then walk out of the room and holler at somebody down the hall. Well, what do you think the people see and believe? Or if people are working to they're completely burned out and the leaders are always there pushing, what do you think they believe? And so commitment is about understanding your role and responsibility, but none of that works if leaders aren't living the values that you're telling people, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. And that, that actually there's surveys out that demonstrate that part of the burnout in the workplace today is because people feel like they're in it alone because they don't see their leaders living those same values. Yeah, and it's good that you mentioned about burnout. But I think trust and engagement is also at an all-time low. And many times, as you were mentioning, people know what is missing, but they don't talk about it, right? So everybody knows, but they don't talk about it. And they gossip about it, but they don't talk openly about it. So how do you bring that level of transparency or like point a mirror to in front of a leader who, who doesn't even know where they are missing the mark? Uh, that's very insightful. One of the things that we did to get the momentum started is we formed little groups that we called them belonging at horns kind of circles. And basically I went from office to office and met with these small groups. And the reason I did it initially is I wanted to see, wanted everybody to know this is a number one priority for the company. That's why I'm involved. I'm here to hear. And we would have open discussion about what was on their mind. 
but we would also bring certain things that we wanted their comments on and to understand. And so we started that way. But one of the things that came out of it just slapped us in the face is that they told us there's a fear of conflict. There's conflict avoidance at Horn. And we just couldn't believe it because we're trying to be open. We're trying to figure this out. But once we stepped back from it and we realized that people were scared of saying what really needed to be said, that we didn't have real candor going on in our conversations. And so it takes time and it's a tough journey. It's a hard journey. That's one of the things I point out in the book. It's a conversation at a time. In other words, you build trust by having that conversation at a time encouraging that there'll be mistakes made that there'll be managers and leaders that uh, do something wrong and all of that because it's an organization of people but you just keep moving forward as that trust grows the sense of belonging grows and performance grows and you have more candor but it is it's hard to start you got to start in small groups and build confidence you got to listen intently and people have to see you taking action on what you learn. So one of the things that led to a lot of candor is that we reported transparently to our team. Here's what you told us. Here's what's wrong. Here's what we're going to do about it. And every year I would report on those initiatives, the progress we made or didn't make. And we would issue a written report to the entire firm on what we got done and what we didn't get done. Yeah. And you mentioned about deliberately setting up these groups, right? And then you spoke about transparency. Can you share what formal structures do you recommend for either one-on-one -on -one or in groups so that there is that level of communication flowing in both directions? Obviously, what we wanted to do was get as diverse a group as we could get. We would pull people together from different offices doing different things, but kind of set them up in different ways because you wanted people to be comfortable. Sometimes we would meet with a team that works together a lot and they feel a little braver that they're all in there, but it also sometimes that holds back information. So we would also pull those people with people they didn't know. We would put people in the room that didn't came from different economic backgrounds, different races, all, all aspects of that. We wanted to create different scenarios to learn as much as was possible. Yeah. And in the book, you also mentioned about trusting and believing in the good of people and many organizations. And in fact, it's very normal for human nature that during pressure, we tend to become suspicious or we tend to not focus on the good, but on the negatives. And it tends to bring our negatives out as well. So can you share, how do you build that or cultivate that ability to look for the good in somebody who might, you might be having a heated argument with? One of our principles that we tried to teach is give everybody the benefit of good intentions. And People really do want to come to work. They want to be successful. They want to reach their full potential. And so giving people the benefit of good intentions is a good way of starting that process and leading into that. But it's, again, 
and this is one of the things that I think that is my purpose in life now is I want to inspire more leaders to trust in that inherent good in people. People will lean into that, but the key to a magnetic culture, the key to a great culture is that the leaders have to be vulnerable enough to trust first. The leaders have to trust first and that's when people will begin to trust them. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. I think that's a wonderful paradox that we have to trust first to become trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah. And as you were speaking about, right, your own future. Can you share a bit more about resistance in organizations, right? Because any change initiative creates some resistance and any growth will have some difficult moments, more for some people than others. But where do you see is the role of leaders within an organization as they move towards this change? And what is the role do you see for external coaches or consultants? And then how do you take them on a journey? Because I assume this is a long-term journey, right? This is not a few weeks or a few months. This is more of a long-term journey. So how do you intervene and what is the role of the, like the leaders within the organization and then people from outside? I certainly on our journey, we were so fortunate and so blessed to have some, some advisors and leaders always was looking for people that had experience or had done things or they were living values that I thought would be representative for, for our group. So. Those advisors along the way are really important. Every year I'd have a very motivational speaker like John Gordon of the Energy Bus, wrote the Energy Bus, was one of my first people I brought in to, to speak to the organization. But getting started, the leaders and really what needs to happen is, is two big steps. One is a compelling vision about who you want to be. Really defining that with clarity and having a compelling vision around that. And the second step and the hardest step, and you can do this step first, is realizing that good culture is not good enough. That all culture has some things that don't smell good, that are inconsistent. And so do you have the courage? Can you go negative enough? understand where your culture can be better. Didn't you have the courage to do that? Because again, we protect our, we protect our culture because that's part of our identity. And so one of the hardest things for leaders in the way that they begin that journey, it's not about how good your culture is. It's about how good can it be? Good can it be? Yeah. Yeah. And what you're sharing here is like continuously looking for improvement and not settling with uh, good, right? Because as it is said, good is the enemy of great. You've got a successful today, or if you're starting out a company or buying a company, it's, it's about how good your culture can be. It's a be better mindset because again, in an exponential world with change every day, learn, unlearn, relearn. You have to have a resilient team. And so if you're, whether you're invested in a company, starting a company, running a middle market company, it's all going to come down to people. And I believe that's where you need to put your biggest investment. Thank you. Thank you, Joy, for sharing what you shared. And as we begin to wrap this up, 
Is there any other anecdote or personal message that you would like to share with the audience today? The last thing, and that's the overall message, is just trust in the inherent good in people and demonstrate in intentional ways how your organization cares, how you care, and make sure you connect personally. Thank you. I love that element of demonstration because it's in your behaviors and in what you said one conversation at a time. That's where the change really starts to happen, even if it is difficult or it takes a long time. So thank you for adding that. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. And for anybody who is listening, who might want to reach out to you or find out more about what you are up to, what is the best way for them to do? So? You can go to my website, joeyhavens.com. You can email me at joey at joeyhavens.com. And you can go to Horn. If you want to know more about Horn services, you can go to horn.com. And my book, Leading with Significance, is at all the online retailers and in some of the book, bricks and mortar stores also. It's done very well on Amazon. And so I would encourage you to think about getting your copy. Thank you. Thank you, Joey, for your journey and for sharing everything that you have shared now and also in the book. I will make sure to include the book link with the show notes. And I Thank wish you, you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you. And to you too. Best of luck. God bless. Thank you. And that wraps up another inspiring episode of the Visionary Voices series on the Choosing Leadership podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation and find value in this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us reach more people and share these transformative insights with a wider audience. Remember, leadership is about continuous practice and not just about intellectual knowledge. And we love hearing from all of you. So feel free to reach out and share your thoughts, questions, and takeaways. Thank you for listening to Choosing Leadership. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. And until the next time, keep choosing leadership.